0: I love learning things about the world around us. Recently, uh, Jim, our seminarian, introduced me to his love for the deep sea. We started watching some YouTube videos about that. Another thing that I found interesting is how with volcanoes, the rush of not the lava and how it can move mud can often cover things, causing them to look like they've been preserved for centuries or even millennia, and it happened in a quick amount of time. Most recently, though, I've been talking with people who have noticed the ash from the fires on the western coast, so in particular around Portland. Even in Vermo- I think it was Vermont or somewhere in New England, somebody said they had been up there and they had noticed that in the sky. And somebody more locally said they had noticed it at the, Nash- the, Nat- the Nats uh, Park when they were there for a game. Fires. Summer is a warm time. Sometimes we have bonfires or... We have a barbecue, but there are also bad fires that can happen during the summer. Taking that analogy of both good and bad uh, fires, I wish to apply it to the spiritual life. In particular, to a good type of fire and a bad type of fire that we can encounter. To understand this, let's first look at Deuteronomy and Hebrews. In both of those books, both old and new, God has spoken of as a consuming fire. In fact, the book of Hebrews says, our God is a consuming fire. We don't have just the word of Scripture to say this, but we also have an image, the burning bush that Moses encounters. He takes off his shoes. When he hears that voice, you are on holy ground. And he sees a bush aflame, but not consumed. An image of God. Not God himself, but an image of God. Or how about our Lord himself who says in Luke's gospel, the 12th chapter, I have come to set the earth on fire, and how I wish it were already burning. What is the fire that Jesus wishes to cast upon earth? It is the fire of his divine love, the charity that burns in the Trinity itself, the love between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But God is not content to simply be fire but he wishes for us to be set aflame, to catch the divine fire within us. Now, you might ask, well, Father, this is interesting, but why even talk about this? What connection has this to do with the readings at all? We're getting there. The next five weeks, starting today, we're going to be talking about the Eucharist. We're going to be hearing from John's 6th chapter. And what we heard today was the beginning miracle that prepares Jesus' listeners for the words he will say. The miracle is the multiplication of the loaves and the fish. And in multiplying them, Jesus is showing them that he has power over nature to change it. Earlier in John's Gospel, we see Jesus change water into wine. Here he multiplies and provides for the physical needs of the people. But Jesus has something far better to give. He wants to supply and take care of their spiritual needs, to feed them spiritually, and to change ordinary bread and wine into his very body and blood, his soul, his divinity, his very self. Now, one of the early church fathers, St. John Chrysostom, says that, for as heat makes things expand... So it is the work of love to expand the heart, for its power is to heat and make fervent. And when we come to the Eucharist, we come to a fire. We come to that divine fire. Sure, we don't see a burning bush here, but within that tabernacle is a fire far greater and far more intense than any physical fire the fire of God's divine presence and his love. And that fire is meant to touch our hearts and to warm, soften, expand them so that we can receive and become like the divine fire itself. Another John, another early church father, John Damascene this time though, says this. He says, the fire of that desire... Which is within us being kindled by the burning coal. And here he's using an image of the Eucharist as a burning coal. He says, will consume our sins and enlighten our hearts so that we shall be inflamed and made godlike. In other words, when we come in contact with the Eucharist, when we receive the Lord into our hearts, it's meant to transform and burn away those imperfections and those things that are displeasing to God in us. There's another part in scripture you may remember that says that God refines us like a refiner's fire. Just like gold is put into the furnace to make it of a greater worth. So God tests us and our coming into the presence of the Eucharist is a fire that is meant to purify our motives and desires. That's the good fire. What's the bad one? The bad one is that self-seeking, that those passions, those ways in which we place our will against God, and it can become like a fire in us too, consuming. How often in literature and in movies is the greed of some particular, maybe it's a banker or whoever it might be, is portrayed where it consumes that person. But it's not just caricatures, it's us as well. We can be consumed by unforgiveness. We can be consumed by hatred. We can be consumed by lust. We can be consumed by all these different things that make it hard for the love of God to burn in us. So it's important for us to talk about what precludes us from catching the divine fire or what makes it possible or impossible rather for us to receive Christ worthily. Then we need to talk about what are the intentions or the dispositions that set us right in order to receive that fire. So here are the things that are like dousing the spiritual wood of our hearts, pouring water on them so that when the divine fire comes, it only smolders in their smoke. The first, and it ought to be the most obvious thing, is mortal sin. When we do one mortal sin, we quench, or we rather not quench, we put out the fire of God's divine life in us. And we cannot receive Holy Communion to our benefit. This is what Paul talks about when he says, you need to discern when you come to communion. And see, because if you don't properly discern, you can eat and drink to your own condemnation. Because our God is not a tame God. Our God is is a wild God. He's a fire. And that fire will either purify us and make us like him, or it will burn us and destroy us. Mortal sin and reception of Holy Communion leads to the sin of sacrilege. But also, and these are things that we sometimes don't think of as much. When I fail to forgive someone else, I place myself in a place where I am unable to be forgiven by God. Not because God doesn't want to forgive me, but because I've hardened my heart. If I have self-righteousness, I don't think I'm in need of repentance, or I'm constantly seeing the, 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 the sliver in others' eyes, but fail to acknowledge the plank in my own eye. I am placing myself in a place where I cannot receive the Eucharist to my own benefit. Unbelief. We need to have Catholic faith in what we receive. We don't receive a symbol in the Eucharist. We don't receive Christ along with bread. We receive the same living God who lives in heaven. The same God who holds this world in existence. And who one day will call all of this world back to himself. The God who loved you and me into existence is whom we receive. In other words, the God who cannot be held, the God whose expanse is infinite and whose power is unlimited, chooses to be contained in what looks like a wafer, but is really himself. He chooses to become weak and vulnerable in our hands and in our mouths. He becomes dependent upon our care. Other things before we move on to that positive list that can prevent us. Maybe they don't, they don't quench or put out that fire. They don't make it smolder in the same way. But if you come into church and you haven't properly disposed yourself... It's like you're taking a handful of sand and throwing it on that fire. You're making it hard for it to burn properly. I say willful distractions because it's probably impossible for us not to have some distractions. But what do we do with them? Do we try to focus, refocus, even if it takes the whole mass and we're struggling the whole time? That can be pleasing prayer to God. But if we willfully give in to them. We're thinking about the next thing we're going to do. Mass is boring and we give in to that attitude. Why do you think that when you come to the Eucharist, you're going to be changed? Why should I think that I would be changed? There are other things that can make it difficult. I don't say make it impossible. But if we are sad, we're weary, we're heavy, we have preoccupations that are weighing us down. We need to offer them over to the Lord, hand them over to the Lord and say, Lord, this is your time. I give you this thing that's weighing on my heart, my mind. Maybe it'll still weigh on me while I'm here, Lord, but I want to be present to you. Okay, that's perhaps the negative side. Let's look at the positive side. What's the kind of attitude that we ought to have then when we come to Mass and to the Eucharist? The first is a sense of awe. My friends, God is here among us. You are not God. I am not God. He is God. And the fact that he deigns to dwell with us, that he wants to be with us, ought to fill us with a sense of wonder, even more so than the natural beauties and things of this earth. And that all then ought to lead us to humility, to humble ourselves before him who's humbled himself to be with us, to take a human body to become our food. And this ought to lead to reverence. We ought to have a disposition of interior reverence. In the weeks that follow, we'll be talking about exterior forms of reverence, and we'll get into more of these things. But the first attitude ought to be one of interior reverence. We ought to be Sorrow, have sorrow for our sins, but at the same time, gratitude and joy for the saving work of redemption. The church speaks of the Holy Spirit and receiving the Holy Spirit as a type of sober inebriation, which means that we're in our right mind and we're in our right heart, but we are filled with the Spirit. And that's the kind of attitude we ought to have at Mass. Mass, we don't come to Mass in order to feel good. We come to Mass in order to adore God. But when we adore him properly, we're filled with something more than feeling good. We're filled with a deep sense of fulfillment and peace and joy. The sober inebriation of the Spirit. So, dear friends, what happens when we do receive the Lord well? This is again what St. John Chrysostom tells us. He says that like lions breathing forth fire, thus do we depart from that table being made terrible to the devil. Dear friends, some are afraid of the devil. But for the Christian who worthily receives the Lord, he becomes terrible to the devil. And his life becomes changed by the fire of divine love. Today, let us begin interiorly to show that deeper reverence, to acknowledge with our faith, even if we struggle, Lord, I believe that you are here. Help my unbelief and help me interiorly and exteriorly to show that faith. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.